sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 289. Hope everyone is having a great week and enjoying the fact that the spring college golf season is off and running. And man, some of these teams are off to very fast starts. It's going to be an incredible spring leading into the national championship. I've said it many times, but I just have a feeling that 2023 is going to be a massive year for amateur golf. Congrats to Texas A&M. They picked up the win at the Arizona Thunderbirds Intercollegiate. Congrats to Florida. They won the Seabest Invitational in Ponte Vedra Beach. And right now, Texas is leading the Southwestern Invitational out in California. And what's really interesting is that the two returning seniors on this team, Travis Vick and Mason Nome, they aren't the ones leading the Longhorns right now. It's their three freshmen, Jacob Sosa, Keaton Vaux, and Christian Moss, they're actually leading the entire tournament heading into the final round. So some people may have thought that Texas might have a rebuilding year after losing Cole Hammer and the Cooties. Well, maybe not. So we'll have to keep an eye on the Longhorns throughout the spring. Again, really excited for what we have in store in college golf this year. I am heading out in a couple days for my first tournament of the spring. Just a quick trip up the east coast of Florida. Yes, yes, I will be passing by Bucky's. We we know that. I'll be attending the John Haight Intercollegiate up in the Jacksonville area. This is the University of North Florida's home tournament. Some of the best teams in the country will be there, as well as some of the best players. Mateo Fernandez de Oliveira from Arkansas, the current Latin America amateur champion, will be there. Gordon Sargent and Cole Sherwood, recently named to the Ben Hogan Award watch list. They'll be there along with the rest of the Vanderbilt team. They are definitely one of the strongest teams in the country. You have Alabama, Chattanooga, UCF. It's going to be a great field. And again, make sure you're following the back of the range on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Head over to thebackoftherange.com. That's where all the information is located as far as social media channels and handles, and the merch, and all the previous episodes, that is truly the hub for all things The Back of the Range. So head over to thebackoftherange.com. Before jumping into this week's episode, I wanted to also announce that I'll be returning to the Gasparilla Invitational later this month. You know, people ask me all the time, Ben, you know, what's what's your favorite tournament? That is such a hard one to answer, but I will tell you that the Gasparilla is right at the top of that list, it is such a good time there. The best mid-ams and senior ams from all over the country come down to Tampa, Florida, looking to knock off the rust. And yeah, it's an absolute blast. The field is incredible. The membership at Palmasia are all in, and that is really uh, the main key to success for an amateur tournament. They really roll out the red carpet for these guys, and they've also done that for me. So I uh, got to thank Kevin Dutkowski, Jack Compton, Joe Hodge, everyone at Palmasia for inviting me back to the Gasparilla. Again, follow my social media channels for interviews and video content, but also give Gasparilla Invitational a follow on Instagram. For live scoring, all the information you need on this tournament, go to gasparillainvitational.com. My guest this week is going to be teeing it up at the Gasparilla Invitational, so this is a perfect time to catch up with him and discuss his game 
And also, we talked a little bit about what's going on in the world of professional golf. My guest is Chris Solomon, one of the co-founders of No Laying Up. We had a great chat about the early origins of No Laying Up. We spoke about, again, the current landscape in professional golf and how his game is shaping up coming into the Gasparilla. We also talked a little bit of shop. You know, when you get a couple of podcasters together, those, those kind of things happen. But it was really interesting to hear about the early years of No Laying Up. They just signed a new deal with Titleist. And I think that everyone probably saw the video that they shot out in Hawaii with Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. I know they are primed for a huge year. So um, it was really good to catch up with Solly. Let's jump into this episode. Solly, welcome to the back of the range. How are you, sir? I'm great. Uh, you, t- you catch me in January. I've probably had a little bit of a chance to play a little golf. Um, in about six months, I'll be like stressed as hell because I haven't gotten to the range, <laughs> haven't gotten any practice in. Um, there's Living in Florida, this is a nice little stretch period for me, at least the way my schedule works, where October to about March, I can sneak in two to three rounds a week if, I've, if I'm diligent about it, if I put it on the calendar and do it. So it's just overall helpful to my mood, and uh, so I'm. You caught me in a good mood tonight. I'll, I'll spill whatever you need me to spill tonight. Okay, that's perfect. Yeah, this is all strategy because yeah, we we want we want a happy Solly on the podcast. We don't want someone that's stressed out. Uh, I'm kind of on the same. Well, I mean, but we both live in Florida, and we're kind of on similar schedules. I mean, you're you're handling more of the pro side of uh, the game, and no laying up, and I'm more on the amateur side here. But yeah, I kind of have that. That November to, to February is a nice little pocket of of downtime, but um, but yeah, I, I see I see the Gasparilla in in the distance at the end of February, and that's when things really kick off for me this year. And of course, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, um, yeah, you've played a little bit of golf. You just got back from Hawaii playing with JT and uh, and and Jordan Spieth. That's that's typically not what people say. With oh, I'm trying to like you know knock the rust off. Um, you still got, are you still on island time or, or how, how, how was the Hawaii adventure for you? Hawaii was great. We were only out there for about five days. So the, uh, the time zone change was not, not too difficult for me, but, uh, it was a little difficult, you know, kind of you know, just put it in some new sticks in the bag. Um, maybe a little hungover cameras there getting kind of, you know, ridiculed by my own teammate a lot on an uncomfy golf course, knowing about a million people would probably watch it over time. Yeah, it was a little uncomfy, that that, that <laughs> round of golf, I think. But uh, it was uh, kind of a dream come true to kind of pull something like that together um, and give people a look at what a, what a round of golf would be like with with those two dudes. And uh, it, was, it went even better than I would have imagined it going. And they were very gracious with their time, and they brought the energy. That's the thing. Those dudes get, you know, you don't know what you're going to get out of guys on certain days, whether they're there to tick a box or if they're there to have fun. And those guys were there to have fun and that shined through in the content. And uh, we are just proud to have put that together because it was uh, a long time coming for, for something like that to come together. Yeah, that, that looked like a lot of fun. And you, and we'll talk about that a little bit later because you, you just referenced a handful of things that I want to ask you about. It, most notably is, you know, when I, when I think about it, you know, I'm like my world's amateur golf and I'm very excited about 2023 and, but when I think about amateur golf, who whose game, which amateur right now in the world has his game more on, on, on I don't want to say on blast, but more, ha- more has his game out there for public consumption than you and the guys at No Laying Up? I mean, I, I, even the, the best amateurs that are going to be playing in, in U.S. Amateurs or U.S. Opens or, or, or the Masters, um, there's a lot of people that have seen you hit a golf ball. I guess that's the best way of saying it. 
Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot more people out there, uh, a lot of channels that have a lot more followers and subscribers on YouTube than we do. So there, there, there might be the Good Goods and the Rick Shields and all those guys uh, have definitely got us beat a lot, and uh, they make some they make some excellent content. That well, YouTube has kind of been a not, I want to say a secondary project for us, but we're probably more known for the podcast. I think, sure. and we. Um, you know, we don't necessarily want our, we don't, we're not out there on YouTube, like trying to generate views. I'm not saying that other right. people necessarily are, but it's kind of like where we, uh, this is going to be sounds so pretentious. I'm just going to warn you, but it's kind of like where we hang our art. Like, Hey, we're doing this stuff and, uh, we're going to put it on YouTube. All right. And that's where you can watch it. We're like, just not there to gain the system. And right. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, we're that, thrilled to have, you know, the subscriber base that we do. I'm not saying otherwise, but, uh, yeah, there's some dudes out there that play a lot of golf on YouTube. And I'm always amazed that it, it is such a time consuming process, putting that stuff together. You wouldn't believe, you know, for people, you might, you would understand it. You work in, in media and you work in video and, and photographs and editing and all that stuff. But People that don't, you you got to understand how much time goes into creatively putting it together. You know, having the the proper filming in in place, all the time that goes into editing, even the edits that you think are gonna be like, oh, I'll do this in two hours, take like eight hours. And I'm amazed at some of these channels that can get up almost you know a couple times a week videos because we uh you know it's it's definitely not like that on our end. No, I I completely agree. I've I've been in the depths of hell with editing, uh, even the the shortest thing for Instagram or or a smaller project. And yeah, there's a lot of moments uh, on. Boy, I feel like we're both we're doing like podcast or like golf media therapy right now. We're like, man, I've seen some shit in my day. And um, but you know, you're 100 right. Just trying to get those things out where it's for public consumption. Um, it, it, it's a lot. So 2023, I'm very excited about it from the amateur golf side. I mean, we have college golf is going to be on Golf Channel uh, at the NCAA's and a couple of tournaments leading up to it. And then we have obviously the USAM and Elite Amateur Series and then, uh, you know, Walker Cup and St. Andrews of all places. I don't know what it's like on the pro side. I don't really, I mean, is that live golf thing still kicking around? Do people still talk about that at all? Or is that just largely faded away? Like what's happening with the, the pro side and what you're looking for in 23? And yes, I'm being highly sarcastic with that. What, what is this live thing you speak of? Is, is, it, is, is it still a thing? Is that still bouncing around? You know, <laughs> it. Uh, I don't even know who I'm addressing anymore with this. Like, I feel like I've been fighting this fight for like mostly a year. And, you know, it goes away for a few months. And like, you look back at it and you're like, holy shit, there's actually people out there riding for this thing. Like, I, I, that's yeah. how you know you're like, you're not really dealing with with real human beings because like there's no possible way anybody could objectively have viewed that and been like, Oh yeah, like that's it. Like this is where golf's headed. This is a great thing for the game. Like I, I love this. And, uh, they're losing some momentum big time from everything I've heard. And, uh, I don't know. It's been a very challenging year in that we, I have long ridden the PGA tour for falling way short of delivering the proper entertainment value that I think it should. And yet at the same time, it is the best competitive golf tour anywhere in the world. And so when this challenger popped up that threatened to make the PGA tour, which I think again, falls way short on a lot of things to make it a lot worse by dividing the fracturing the golf world and dividing it where some of the, some of the best players in the world are playing over here while you know this other group of players are playing over here. I thought that was a bad thing. And you know, as live kind of, I don't want to say is dying off. It just, from what I'm hearing about it, it seems if I was sitting right here to guess, I don't, think it's going to be around three years from now that would be my estimate but I also didn't think it would get this far so take that for whatever it's worth but 
I think if the game kind of starts to reaccumulate back towards the PGA Tour over the span of half a decade or a decade, they're in a much better position now to make it a little more enjoyable, a lot more enjoyable for fans yeah. and make it a better product. And I think it's it's not all fixed. There's still some major shortfalls and some stuff that's never going to change that I would love to see change. But it, uh, I've got, I'm excited for 2023. I think having the best PGA Tour events, making them 10 to 20 to 30% better with having these full fields of the top players can only be a good thing, really. I don't think it's going to be necessarily game-changing, must-see television, but it's going to make the, the people that like to watch golf, I think you're going to enjoy those featured Sundays just a little bit more because of the names that are going to be involved. So I'm excited. I, I think it's – last year was stressful as hell for, for me being in the spot we were of, like, trying to cover this on a week-to-week basis, just getting – harassment from people online almost on a weekly basis that uh you know for for any, well, those anything those are bots and everything bo- said, those are bots chris those aren't people those are bots so you got you got to know I, how to <laughs> i'm just kidding. even the people the people that are actually involved they're just so adamant about it it's like uh, it, it, it's it can wear on you mentally it really can um I, I, and i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend that i was not thanking my my lucky stars i was like thank god that my lane is amateur golf because i <laughs> I, I mean, I do not envy the position of having to cover it. I mean, I know people that really were covering amateur golf that got moved over to cover live. And, I, you know, since we're talking about it, I haven't really given my my opinion on it or talked much about it on the podcast because, again, I'm talking about amateur golf and I'm talking with, like, collegiate players and college coaches. But, like, what you just said, having to cover it on a week-to-week basis, who's signing, are they leaving, are they going, how much money did they get, or, or what's Norman doing – and I guess what I keep getting left with is after all the noise and the debate and the, the water cooler talk fizzles away, it was clearly like nobody's watching it. Like nobody's going into YouTube and really like no one's talking about the golf. More of it's is the gossip on what, who might move here and do that. And at some point that's going to plateau, which it sounds like you're kind of like what you're saying is, is that's where it's trending. It's, calming down well after you're left with all the noise what do you really have and unless they want to start cgi you know put, using, using cgi to put in fifty thousand people in the gallery i don't like i don't know i just can't get, i can't get into it for some reason yeah i i think it was each of the first maybe five tournaments had something interesting about them right the london one was all right this is the first one I, i'm right, kind of right, excited right. to see how this goes right and the second one was well, gosh, now they signed Bryson and Kepka and all this. Like, that's yeah. interesting. And, um, you know, I don't remember the exact sequence of the of the events, but then, you know, DJ won in Boston. Um, and then you have Cam Smith coming in later. It, it's just – and but then when they started going – when they went to Thailand and went to Saudi Arabia, it was kind of like, oh, man, like there's not really much here. There's really not. And I they've been so quiet this offseason. I think it's because – I, I mean, they're not even floating the rumors that they had been floating for, for right. so long and just throw, flooding the zone uh, with rumors and making it seem like the, the PJ Tour was cascading and falling apart. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, we'll see where it goes. I, um, you know, you lose your COO twice. Uh, you lose your head of franchises. You lose, I believe, four to five other people that left when Otto Costa left. He was the COO of Liv. Uh, that's not a good thing when you have a report come out that basically highlights that McKenzie, uh, their consultants said like, hey, there's only one scenario where this possibly could ever make financial sense. And that's if you get everyone and then like everyone, you can fill in the blanks there. You know, everyone, they're not going to ever get any everyone. Right. So, uh, it's just kind of like we're kind of destined for this thing to just kind of exist in the ether for a while. And a few people are trying to pretend like it matters and it just doesn't. So, um, but I think it, the PGA tour has secured a strong, strong 
group of talent. I think they've lost some really intriguing players, some intriguing assholes, if I may say. Like, <laughs> Patrick Reed and Bryson, when they got involved in tournaments, was interesting. And I will miss those guys getting involved oh, in yeah. tournaments. They were not easy to root for, but... You know, I don't know. I always, I, I really can't stand anything about Bryson, but I've, I never rooted against this golf. Like, it was always interesting. Like, no matter what, he gave you something interesting. And the PGA Tour is going to miss that. I think that's the the biggest worry. Uh, Harry Higgs said that instead of, you know, we kind of don't have any villains left. Um, but new ones will emerge, and they're going to, you know, restock. And uh, I don't know. All that to say, 2022, I'm glad that one's behind us, because I think 23 yeah. is going to be a little bit cleaner. I, I I agree. I think it's I think that's going to kind of settle out, and then you know we'll just have to wait wait and see. So I I know that you have told this story many times in other publications, other podcasts of kind of the genesis of no laying up. And correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of a great story of just really college buddies at, at Miami University that turned their own private you know private inside jokes into something a little more public. And after realizing that people, hey, there's there's people kind of like us that might like this. Um, you know, long story, you know, nine, 10 years later, here we are. But um, you and I played golf in an FSGA event. Gosh, what was that? Maybe three years ago, four years ago, something like that. And, you know, I was, I was kind of wondering if you could maybe, you know, I have people that, you know, that are starting a podcast that ask me questions, which is kind of bonkers. And I'm sure you've been getting questions like that for, for years. Like how did, how'd you start and, and how, you know, how do I grow and how do I, how, you know, how, how do I get successful? Um, can you maybe shed some light on like the first couple years of no laying up? Cause, cause like people look at you and like, Hey, these guys are going to Hawaii playing golf with Spieth and Thomas and they're here, they're there and they can get, you know, access to any PJ tour player that they want to um, just to kind of open the curtain a little bit. What were the first couple years of no laying up? Like that may not, <laughs> that may not know the, that story. Well, what's funny is I, I get asked, you know, somewhat often, you know, to join a webinar or join a college class or basically to, you know, it, it like I, not to be shy about it. Like we we are a success story, right? It's been incredibly yeah. successful, and we're we're very proud of that, right? But I feel very hesitant to like share the success story because it uh it, it i i feel like i'm kind of an expert in this one little thing we do right but i don't really know how to teach anyone else about anything about their business <laughs> or you know hey follow my route and you're going to have this weird crazy lucky life that i've had like i just don't know if the blueprint is really uh the same uh it, i don't think it really works that way right but so i tell people like here, here you're you're talking to me now because like i we did this for like 4 years like with no expectation of ever making a dollar out of it because we were really passionate about it. Right. That's kind of like the gen that's the, that's the core and that's the base of yeah. it. Cause it was never supposed to be a business. It was never supposed to be a job. It was just like, you know what, like kind of blogs and you know, alternative media has taken off in pretty much every sport except golf. Right. There's, if, I don't even know what other media sources there were out there than like golf.com, golf digest and golf channel and if, golf week and a few others, right. It, at least in the U S that was like what I knew at that time. And nobody talked about golf the way you and I would sit and talk about golf in a bar. And we kind of took that approach. We started a Twitter account, you know, we started a website, we posted some extremely dumb shit that we should probably, <laughs> you know, we've scrubbed some of it clean, but like we, I, we were just seeing what stuck and what didn't, but we, I can't tell you how little expectation we had of this and um, kind of just messed around, messed around and found a couple things that worked, had some tweets that kind of went kind of nuts. And then some tour players started randomly following it. And then we looked around and said, there's not really a golf podcast. I think we looked it up and there was like, literally like two golf podcasts or something anywhere in the world at that point. 
And so we started, we said, well, all right, why don't we just throw a mic on and, and talk about golf? And it was horribly unorganized and we had no idea what we were doing <laughs> then. And, you know, just kind of periodically did it. But again, it was just a hobby. And, you know, I, around this time, this was around 2014, we'd done the pod for about six months, maybe only like 12, 15 episodes, something like that. And I was getting actually ready to move. So with my full-time job, I was getting ready to move to Amsterdam. And I kind of thought that was going to be the end of it, right? I just was starting a whole new life really over there and uh, wanted to travel the world, do some things outside of golf. And I got to go find this somewhere. Someone sent us an email or something that said like, it was one of our probably hundred listeners maybe that we had. And he was just like, Hey, when's the next episode of the pod? Like I used to love listening yeah. to that. And that hasn't yeah, been yeah, one yeah. in like three months. And I was like, ah, all right, there's one person listening. I'll go yes. eat this back up. And uh, it would have been that easy to, to kind of shut the doors and just kind of, you know, move on with life. I know Tron, my business partner, was he was getting married at this time and uh, I think getting ready to have his first kid. And it was just like I was at a point in my life where I, I needed a creative outlet. I needed like something to kind of do with my free time. I was single and it just kind of became my outlet. I just started learning the ropes on how to communicate with an audience. And uh, an important thing for us, too, was like a growing period when no one was really listening or reading was really important because uh, you, you take, it takes practice. It takes like a year or two of practice to learn what you're actually decent at and what you're not good at and how to make mistakes and how to learn from mistakes and how to fail and how to, how, you know, how to take advantage of success when it comes a certain way. And so, you know, it just started to build and build until we started getting bigger name players on. And then sponsors started calling at that point. And it was kind of like a, maybe a way too early move to go all in and quit our jobs and go for it. But <laughs> once, once we convinced like one company to spend a little bit, a teeny tiny bit of money with us, we were kind of like, Oh sure. We could definitely do this like forever. And it was one by one. We quit our jobs and started doing it and, uh, had to, had to learn pretty quickly how the actual business works. And, uh, that's been a process, but we've been extremely fortunate. And I, I, I was, I hate the cheesy motivational poster of luck is where skill and opportunity meet, but yeah, I, I feel like I'm a living testament of that every day. Like we definitely worked our asses off and put the work in. Yeah, we got so lucky at so many, so many steps along the way and got support from the right people and definitely did not do it on our own. And uh, yeah, we're uh, we're just extremely, extremely blessed to be able to do this every day. Yeah, and you know, it's the reason I kind of wanted to get into this a little bit is is not just for like you know the other people starting a podcast or the other people starting a, a, a brand, but also for like amateur and college golfers that are asking me how to grow their brand. Like it's really important to listen to what you just said there is you basically for two years did it as if just your dog and your mom are listening to it. And probably, like you said, you, you kind of want to trip and fall and make those mistakes early and not, you know, like you don't, I mean, like if you had the, the Rory McElroy interview or the Justin Thomas interview, like in episode nine, that would, that'd be terrible. I mean, and you understand what I mean by that. What's well, funny you said that the first interview player interview we did was Justin Thomas and it was episode like 15. I think. So oh, okay. All <laughs> he right. Was a rookie. He was a rookie though. Like it was kind of well, like, well, I uh, guess what I'm getting at is if you had, no, you're right though. It probably was terrible. Like I, I, if I can't listen back to those early days because the audio <laughs> quality was terrible and I didn't know how to record. I didn't know how to ask questions. I didn't even, it, it took until somebody said like, Oh yeah, you're like a decent interviewer. I was like interviewer. I didn't even know I was supposed to interview him. I just, I just kind of like talking to him. 
And then and I was kind of like, oh, I should probably ask questions. That's a really good point. Thank you for telling me that. And, uh, you know, it's evolved a lot, a lot, a lot over the years. And I'm a lot better prepared when I go to sit down and talk to guys now and all that. But, yeah, it, it, it helped to have a few of those conversations back when uh, not nearly as many people were listening. That's for sure. Yeah, my 25th episode was Joe Buck. And hmm. I was horrified <laughs> leading into it. Luckily, it went well. But, man, um, that was a little too early for me to be talking to Joe Buck. I'm not going to lie. Uh, he's the best, episode. though. Oh, he's, he's... oh he, he was so – I mean, yeah, he was he was great. But, but you know, leading up to it, yeah, um, I was, I was, I'll put it this way. I was a little more nervous talking to him than I, what, than I am talking to you, if you understand. <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope so. <laughs> but, yeah, I was horrified. Um Talk to me a little bit about like uh, there's some episodes that I do and some people I talk to where I'm not worried about the numbers. I'm not worried about that at all. Like like Mark Roberts who streaked the 95 Open Championship. I was able to talk to him. And I don't know where that ranks in my episodes, but I mean, how many times do you get to talk to the, you know, the world's most famous streaker? What are some of the projects that maybe you guys do that maybe it's more time consuming, maybe there's more editing and maybe the back end costs are, 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 you know, obviously more than a podcast, but what are some of the things that maybe you guys have done over the last few years that just the memories you've created be like, I don't care who else watches this. This is awesome. This is a lifelong memory. Uh, I probably lean more on the video side for that because, you know, the podcasts are kind of cut and dry. I'll, every now and then I'll do like a, a medley of some kind or a storyboarded version of a podcast. I did one on the 91 Ryder Cup, which took like it took years off my life. And there's a reason why there haven't been many of those since because it's just wildly time consuming to do 18 different interviews and cut and storyboard and, and do all the editing that comes with that compared to, uh, you know, taking a conversation and posting it. But some, some like strapped our video series that um, – is super fun for me because I have absolutely nothing to do with it. I don't shoot it. I don't go on the trips. I just, they come back and they show it to me. And I'm just like, so, you know, so like the trips that I go on and that I'm a part of filming, you view it, you always view it in a different lens, right? You're like, ah, well, we didn't capture this shot. Or I wish we'd talk to that guy. Ah, right. The, the lighting's not great on this drone shot. I would have done that better. Ah, we didn't really capture the vibe of the hill behind the 17th hole, blah, blah, blah. All this crap that doesn't really matter. But when you're just... When I'm a viewer of our content that I'm not a part of, I get to I appreciate it so much more just to be like totally surprised and wowed at how these guys can make, you know, New Mexico really interesting to me. And so that was a that 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 was a, you know, that's not a sponsored thing we do. We've we've only spent money on strapped. We've never made money off strapped. It's like we call it our self-funded art project. And yeah, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm weirdly proud of that. And even though I have nothing to do with it, I, I feel even better about saying I'm proud of that because of what these guys are able to to put together every time they go on one of those trips. And p- the fans love it. And uh, it's just, it's it's super rewarding to put something like that out in the golf world uh, and celebrate some, some places in golf that maybe aren't used to having the spotlight on them. Yeah, I like that one. I also like, uh, I, I, I really kind of find myself going back and watching the Furic episode on wide world of golf because um, mm-hmm. yeah I, I love those kind of things where i mean gosh can you like 10 years ago do you ever think of champions tour players or, or any major champions for that matter saying all right i'm gonna go play nine holes at a muni with these internet guys like that's just how much it's changed over the last 10 years i so what's really weird for me is getting to know some of the younger guys hasn't been that weird right it, it's just it's it's not that you know, I think they kind of are excited or seem to be excited about like younger people covering the game of golf. Right. So it's kind of easy to relate to those guys and easy to have conversation. 
What blows my mind is like when Jim Furyk's name pops up on my cell phone and asks me to come play golf. Like that's the stuff that is <laughs> super will never be normal to me. Never ever be normal to me. Or when Brad Faxon, t- like I just remember watching these guys when I was a kid, right? Like that's yeah. I would I I was more nervous to like interview and hang with Brad Faxon than I was honestly than like meeting uh, Rory for the first time or something like that. It's just a it's a different you know. It's like you, you're what you're hanging with these guys that you watched on television, right? And uh, so Jim Furyk ended up joining Tim Aquana Country Club, where I'm a member here in Jacksonville, and he hosts a Champions event out there and. Uh, my days of playing golf are usually weird, not weekend days, but maybe Tuesday mornings or Wednesday afternoons, whenever I can get it. But, uh, so I play with a lot of the mini tour guys a lot. And so I've get in games every now and then with Jim Furyk. It's, it's most definitely almost always me asking him if he wants to play, but every now and then he'll ask me if I want to play. And I'm just like, honey, I, I got to cancel something like, right. I, I Jim yeah. Furyk's asked me to play golf. You understand. She's like, yeah, hundred percent. You got to do that. So it's still, uh, like one of the, uh, you know, I've, the, 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 one of the greatest, stories uh i have from from playing any kind of uh golf was i played with jim on a day with two other mini tour guys and jim we flipped tees on the first hole and he and i ended up being partners and i jim jim finished fourth in the group that day and the uh one of the other pros tied his own course record with a 61 okay and jim and i were partners i shot 71 jim shot a 73 that day and jim and i won the money and it's like one of my favorite. I I will never end up. I will never stop razzing the guy that shot sixty one and lost money because they give me four pops. I birdied all my pop holes. I made a bunch of bogeys, but Jim covered up all my bogeys. Yeah. And the guy had to. So the the mini tour guy that shot sixty one had to pay eighty dollars to multi 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 millionaire Jim Furyk at the end of that day. And uh, I don't remember even what your question was. Is but getting to know getting to meet Jim Furyk and hang with him and play golf with him is uh, one of the great upsets of my entire life. I would say it's still very bizarre to me. I, I would make sure you take a picture of the plaque of the sixty one in, in the clubhouse and just text it to him randomly. You know, just you know every other week or something like that. I'm like, yeah, this plaque cost you 80 bucks. Um, <laughs> we never let him hear the end of that story. But yeah. And you know, it's funny. You mentioned like Faxon. It just, I just remembered I was coming back from a tournament and I can't remember where, but I'm flying into to PBI and Faxon's on the plane. And like five years ago, I would have been like, oh shit, that's Brad Faxon. Instead. He's like, oh, Hey Ben, what's up? Where are you coming back from? And then when we're waiting on our bags, we're talking about like, we're, we're colleagues in this, we're pseudo colleagues in this industry. And I'm like, how the hell did I get here? Like, that's crazy. Like, it, of course, if he calls me to play golf, that's a different story. But still, we're just like, oh, where are you coming from? And what tournament you're at? Where are you going next? What's up? You know, it's fascinating where it sounds like, you know, the the turns that your life has taken or, or you know, they're similar to uh, to mine where we find ourselves talking golf for a living. Yeah, it's something that like breaking kind of into that world was, I don't want to say easier than I would have imagined. I'm just, I'm so impressed and surprised at how just kind people are in the golf industry, really. I mean, players, uh, uh, caddies alike, they're just like super, I don't know, they're they're very personable. I've, I've had very, very few bad experiences and a ton of really good experiences in that regard of people that are generous with their time and and welcoming and uh yeah that just i would not have if you'd asked me that 15 years ago i would have never imagined that that would have been the case i had a similar situation i think the first situation i had really was i was at walker cup in 2019 uh, at hoylake and i spent the week there and i'm watching guys like you know cole hammer and pock and brandon Wu and augenstein and everyone and, and they're just like killers out there and just really no motion and then uh, i was at i, I 
followed them over to, or was invited over to the restaurant where they were celebrating their win. And Hagestad's kind of sitting there by himself. He's, I think he's like 28, 29 at the time. And the rest of them were basically just being idiot college kids. And it just hit me like, oh, wait a minute. They're just normal idiot college kids that are FaceTiming their friends at, you know, back home at 4 a.m. that they won. And like I looked over at Hagestad, he's like, yeah, this this is what it is. This is who they are. And it just reminded me like, yes, they're the, they're great players, but pretty much they're just normal dudes that just happen to have this freakish ability when they're on a golf course. That's well said. Yeah, I'm, I, I, uh, that's how I feel in person too, of just like, yeah, these guys were just, I'm trying, I always like look at them and I'm trying to like picture who this was in my junior golf days. Like who was yeah. the best player in my area? Could I picture it like, you know, I, I try to picture it through that lens and it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's bizarre in that way. I can never really fully picture it. Right. I, I didn't play with golf with any guys that, uh, have ended up anywhere near uh, of that level, but it's always, uh, it's a, it's a weird lens to view these guys through. You mentioned Hawaii. You had this challenge match. It was, uh, it was you and, um, JT against uh, Schuster and Spieth, which kind of sounds like a, an accounting firm, but, um, that match I think ended, ended a little bit early. I think you picked up the win there. Um, you mentioned just the the vibe there and, and just JT and, and Spieth were really kind of kind of in it and they were they were obviously looked like they were they're great on camera and great to interact with. Is that something that you see more of, not just with with you, but just with no laying up? But do you kind of see a trend where the players are letting their guard down more and wanting to participate in in you know kind of projects like that? I think so. Uh, it, it's always, it's a hard thing to balance, right? I have a, you know, a fair amount of decent relationships with a lot of these guys yet, you know, you don't want to ask them for too much stuff, right? You don't want right. to be the guy that every time JT sees my name on his phone, it's me asking him for something, right? Or then you got to also balance. These guys all have agents that are there for a very particular reason. And that, you know, I could ask a guy if he wants to do something, but it's really hard for guys to say no to things and it puts them in a tough spot when you ask them, Hey, you want to come on the podcast? What are they gonna be like? No, almost yeah. always they say yes. And then you go to the agent and you say, Hey, I talked to blah, blah, blah. He wants to come on the pod. And they're like, well, yeah, of course he said that man, but you don't realize I got 15 <laughs> other 15. They're, they're, they're nicer than this. I'm exaggerating, but hey, yeah, I got, yeah, yeah. I got 15 other requests coming through. What do you want me to do with this? You want me to bump you to the top of the line here? And I'm like, ah, gosh, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, it is, it is, uh, we try to like, you know, get through to these guys of, you know, for something like that. And these guys were easy to convince, honestly. Um, I've had a great relationship with JT for many years and, uh, we were switching over from Callaway to Titleist and it was kind of like a, you know, he was super pumped that we were doing that. And I was like, Hey, you know, you really help us kind of launch our, our, our thing here and probably put you in good favor with Titleist as well. If we just, look, we're going to play around golf, we'll make a little match, mic people up and we're just gonna have some fun with it. And he, they were like, Oh yeah, sure. That sounds great. Like talk to my agent about it and let's do it. And, uh, that's pretty much how it came together. Speed was kind of an, a late add on to it. And, uh, they were just so <laughs> into it and they sat and had drinks with us for about two hours afterwards, telling stories over lunch and just not in any hurry at all. And, uh, that's just, what's unique about that tournament though. Like once, once tour life starts, like these dudes keep pretty busy schedules and it's kind of yeah. be a little harder to get, get through to them. But, uh, Maui's a little different vibe. Is there a wish list of another a rematch? I'm not just. I know that they in the episode you talked to that. I know Spieth wants a rematch, but is, are there future like who do you think would be good for that moving forward? It it's hard to again. It's hard to schedule because I don't. I don't think he would. Be oh, on I'm, just course, right I'm just saying right saying the tournament. Tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Max skip. wants in. Max Homa wants in. I know that. Um, I, 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 John Rahm intimated that he might want in as well on one of those. So we might need to do an Arizona one or something, but, 
Um, I think, yeah, we got to, we got to get something booked because it's obvious people were, were way into that. It's just, man, it's hard to schedule with one pro, much less two and agents and sponsors and all the stuff that needs to go into that. And, um, but it's, it's definitely on our radar that people were way into this and we need to do it again. Yeah, I have, uh, I'm trying to get that with some of the amateurs. I've, I've kind of hinted at it and, and of course it's terrifying cause they're all like, Oh yeah, we want to whip the shit out of you and, and turn the tables a little bit and have a camera on you. I'm like, that's not the purpose of this. It's to showcase you guys, not how much I suck, but yeah, they, uh, that's something that I'd, I'd like to, to do with some of these young guys cause I'm around them so much there. I'm like I said, I'm so excited about where amateur golf is going. Cause I think it's just a matter of time before you see an amateur. I mean, I'll put it out in the universe. I really think an amateur is going to win a PJ tour event pretty soon. I really do. I could see that. I mean, uh, some of these dudes that come out are so they're basically professionals as it is. And, yeah. uh, NIL probably may help some guys stay amateur longer if they want to, for some reason. And, um, I mean, shit, we, Michael Thorpe Bjornsson was relatively close last year and there's just, yeah. you know, the Goddard ups that, you know, I know Goddard's a pro now, but they come up and they're, they're tour ready, man. It just takes one hot week and they don't have scar tissue and they can pin their ears back. I don't think that's an outrageous claim at all. It just, I mean, you know, this though, too, the depth, the depth in professional golf from even when I started doing this to now, I mean, I don't know how you like measure it, but it's just insane. It really is. Yeah. It's just like a wave of 40 guys that bomb it you know, that have 190 ball speed, just like waiting to take spots. And uh, we, it's kind of funny seeing Aaron Baddeley pop up on the leaderboard this past week because it's just like, man, that's a, a blast from the past and name exactly. from the past because you go look at that, like how he hits the golf ball, and that's just not the profile of a pro golfer anymore. And, uh, man, it just seems really difficult. And there's just so many guys that come out on a Thursday morning on the PGA Tour that shoot 64, and you're like, who? I mean, the, yeah. the typical golf fans can be like, what? Where, where, who, where'd this guy come from? I mean, there's just so many of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a total joke. I, I guess I used to, like, look at Monday qualifying scores and just be like, how, how the hell do these guys do this? Every, like, how do you go out and shoot 64 to, to get through? And I caddied in one of them. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I kind of get it now. I mean, these guys are <laughs> – I see it now in person of just how easy golf is for some of these guys. And uh, to me, like, growing up – again, I, I played – like I never played AJGA or anything like that. I mean, I played high school golf, right? That's like the level I knew. And like into my, you know, playing recreational days, I don't even know if I like knew any scratch golfers. So like scratch to me was the pinnacle, like hold So-and-so's brother-in-law scratch, like no way. There's no way he scratched. So you can't be like, that's such an incredible golfer. You won't even believe how good that golfer is. And now I sit here and I'm like, oh, scratch is like absolutely nothing. Scratch is scratch, scratch is shit. It really is. It's it means absolutely nothing. And real golf is played at such a higher level than scratch that you can't even imagine. And that my perspective on that has changed so much in the last probably six years, I'd say. So uh, talk to me. So you're getting ready to to go to the Gasparilla at the end of February. We're about a month away, I guess, from from that tournament. I know it's one of your favorites. Um, you know, again, getting back to the fact that you're putting your your golf game on display. This is really, um, gosh, it's like it's the best mid-amps and seniors really kind of escape the cold weather and they come down to Palmasia to knock the rust off. I know it's a serious, I know it's a serious golf tournament, but it kind of also has a member guest cocktail vibe, maybe a little Kentucky Derby party vibe to it, where, with members walking all over the place. This is really at the top of your list. Is is this your major? 
Oh yeah. I mean, I really don't play a lot of competitive golf tournaments. Um, this is, this is my baby. This is the one for me. I mean, I, 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 uh, it's again, it kind of fits into my, my winter being able to play a decent amount of golf just because once the majors really start for me, it just, life gets very, very, very busy and, uh, gets really hard to, to play enough golf to, you know, get into competitive shape. And I, 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 I love this tournament because it's a golf course that I can compete on. Like I have nowhere near the resumes of 98% of that field. Probably I don't have the mid-am experience. I, I didn't really like play mid-am golf at all until January, 2020. That was the first time I ever played like any, any oh, kind wow. of competitive golf since high school. I had never, I hadn't signed a scorecard since high school before that. And uh, we were kind of working on a documentary at that time where we were like, all right, what's like, I was like a two handicap at the time. And it was like, all right, can this guy, we're going to work on this. And can you qualify for the U S open? And like, the answer was going to be like, obviously no, but Hey, we're going to train a bunch. We're going to film a bunch of the training. You're going to get a putting lesson from Brad Faxon. You're going to get swing lesson from Cameron McCormick. And like, we're going to see what it's, and then you're going to go out and like get your brains beat in at U S open locals to like give you an idea of how good the players are. And then we were going to follow some players from locals onto onto sectionals and then through the gates and into uh, the 2020 U S open at Wingfoot in June. Uh, plans changed nope. in 2020 <laughs> um, nope. as you might imagine. Um, and so none of that came to fruition. So kind of our, all of our content kind of got wasted there, but um, so I started getting in and playing a few tournaments just to get a few reps under there. We filmed a couple of them just to say like, Hey, you know, let's go watch him embarrass himself a little bit and, and, you know, get all nervous. Like you, like when you crap the bed at state championship in 2003. And that's kind of when I got back into it. And I had a, I got an invite to play in the Gasparilla that year. And that was the thing that just kind of put me, got me in shape. It was like, dude, I've, all right, I've signed up for a golf tournament that a lot of good players are going to be at. I have not played competitive golf at all. And like, I, you better be prepared for this, man. Like you're, people are going to see that you're playing in it. That those numbers are going to go up online and be there forever. So it's yeah. time. And dude, I, I, I tell people this and it's like hard to kind of come to terms with even now, but I was a 3.3 handicap January 1, 2019. And about, about 15 months later, I had gotten to a plus 2.6 handicap. I entered a, a phase of golf that I could not have ever pictured myself entering and playing. Yeah. I, I, I just couldn't, I got, I got a lot of help. I was able to play a lot of golf and I learned a lot from a lot of people. Again, I got to play with a lot of mini tour guys on an almost daily basis. And like, there's just something about watching three dudes stripe a drive over a bunker that makes you be like, okay, well that's very possible. I'll just do that. And I, I, I feel I flew too close to the sun and uh, <laughs> I, you know, once life started getting really busy again, once, once golf picked back up, it got insanely busy uh, yeah. from the end of 2020 all the way really up until now. And um, I've just not been able to maintain the same schedule and the same work ethic at my game. And I've, I've kind of regressed since then, but I just like touched a level that I, I never thought I'd, I'd get to. So I played that first Gasparilla. Um, I shot a 71 in round one, and then I faded on round two, shot a 79 and missed the cut by one. It got really, really tough that second day and scores went astronomical, but I learned a lot and I, I was kind of bit by the competitive bu bug and, you know, anytime I get a chance to, to tee it up and play in one of these, I want to do it. It's a, I've just had an interesting up and down relationship with competitive golf because 
I believe in my ability at times. I do. I believe in my ability at times. And I just like, I don't, I don't really have anything to show for it at this point. Like I don't have, I don't like get to play the Gasparilla because of my accomplishments in amateur golf. Right. So it's a very weird feeling for me to go tee it up with a lot of much more qualified guys yet on that golf course. I feel like I, I can compete. Like I can, right. It's oh not, yeah. You know, it, it like if this was PGA national, I don't know if I could compete with a lot of those guys. Like I just mathematically like, I don't drive it straight enough, and they're just better at blah, blah, blah. But this golf course just kind of fits my eye. I've had some success on it. I've, you know, first round, my first rounds out there have been 71, 67, 71, and I've always struggled in round two. And so it's it's not to say that I can't compete. So I've got some really good memories there. I've had a lot of fun there, and I just look forward to it every year. It's an unbelievable tournament, just like it's as close as I'll get to ever feeling like a tour pro of they have ropes up, they have people watching, they have concession stands. It's just a wildly, wildly fun thing to be a part of. And every year that I don't compete in it, I like have, I'm just itching for the next year to come back and want to try it again. And I want to be there, you know, with the walking scorers coming down some of those final few yeah. groups. Like I want it really, really bad, maybe too much. I think I might want it too much because it's just so much fun. And I just love competing and, uh, balancing, like not getting nervous and, and that excitement level has been a challenge for me, honestly. Who are some of the guys you've played with? Maybe that, whether it's same group, same pairing, or just being out there with, who are some of the guys that you've played with that you're like, okay, I'm just kind of dipping a toe here, but I could tell that these guys treat this Minam life like it's their job. Like who, I know you've played, I know we share a couple of similar friends in, in the FSGA, but give me a couple of names of guys that you're like, all right, that's a, <laughs> you know, that's, that guy's a different level. Well, the talent level of all these guys is different, right? It really is. And oh, yeah. I just mean like once you pick with it, just, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you an opposite story, actually, in that um, 2021 Gasparilla, my second one, I shot 67 in round one. I was like T5 going into the next day. And I, so I got the T off one. I'm with the leaders, and a friend of mine is Tug Maud, who is an incredible <laughs> player, but I, I, I've never played golf with him. And, dude, I, I mean, I was just freaking nervous. I knew the conditions were blowing in that day. I couldn't eat that morning. Uh, I'm, like, in contention of this thing. I had no business being there. And, uh, like, right before tea time, I was like, I need to run and go get a sandwich to at least have in the cart, um, you know, to if in case I do get hungry. And sure. Tug's ahead of me in line. And Tug is just at the halfway house. He's like, um, can I have uh, eight course lights, please? Yes. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I can't even, like, get – I couldn't get a beer down if I tried right now. This dude is – he went out, drank a ton of beers, and shot, I think, even or one under when it got down in the 40s. He didn't even bring rain gear. It was raining. He was in shorts and a short sleeve shirt, drinking uh, Coors Lights, and whooped my ass. It was just like, dude, am I taking this, like, too seriously? And, and it's supposed to be more fun than this? But um, I don't know. I'm just amazed at these dudes at, at – uh, you know, they will make a triple bogey and I'll be like, all right, well, cool. I, I'll, I got him beat. And then like, you look up at the end of the day and like, how oh, that guy beat me by three. And it's cause they're just freaking resilient, man. They just scrap birdies together. They are, there's just so much, I just did not understand how much mid am talent there was out there. And I, I really do consider it a privilege to be able to like even tee it up with a lot of those guys. All right. I mean, it's like I said, I've not really accomplished anything in amateur golf, and I get these opportunities that are, are they're just not lost on me. I'm, I feel very blessed to be able to, 
to participate in these things and get to know guys. People have been so welcoming too. I was kind of nervous about going out there and being like, oh, f- oh, podcast guys out here. Like I'm bet he's going to shoot 85, but the vibe has been the exact opposite. Like everyone invites me to practice rounds and like gives words of encouragement and is rooting for me. And that has just really helped me get into this world a little bit, a teeny tiny bit to, and appreciate the people that are in it and the people that are pulling for you. Um, like Chip Rook is a guy I've gotten to know through all this. And yeah. um, we played the same mid-am qualifier this year and I missed by four. And he called me afterwards. He was just like, man, you're too good of a player to be missing these things and said all kinds of really encouraging things after he had done and qualified. And I just, I don't know, you can kind of, you kind of pull back on those things to say it, they're confidence building things and they make you feel welcome. And it makes, uh, makes kind of the entire community uh, worth being a part of. Yeah, those are two uh, two great guys you just mentioned. Both have been here at the back of the range. Tug very recently, and yeah, Tug is a um, he's a different animal. That there, yep. you, you mentioned being like getting too close to the sun. Um, it's kind of like getting too close to Tug Maud. Like you got to be careful if you're going to be hanging with him because you just what you said. Yeah, that that guy just uh, yeah Coors Light on ice, and uh, yeah, I'll just sign for sixty eight, and uh, where's let's get some more drinks. What's going on? That's pretty much uh, that's. Pre- it's not the prettiest 68 with him either. I, I oh, jokes no. because he's a very sloppy never, man. He's a very sloppy never, looking man. Well, I've never played with him. And uh, after that round, I, was, I, I guess I made a comment to him that he kind of gives me a hard time about after he whooped my ass. I was like, man, I kind of thought you'd be a flusher, like Tug. You're not like a, you know, a flusher. He's like, oh, you weren't, you weren't impressed by that? I just shot, <laughs> I just shot 70, 70 in the wind and rain. Like it was nothing. Uh, so he, he kinda, I kind of give him a hard time about like, yeah, it wasn't like the prettiest. It wasn't like you were hitting, you know, high draw six irons from 220 and blowing me out of the water. It was just like just smart golf, man. Like there's that's another thing I've learned in this is how many different ways there are to shoot even par, how many different playing styles. There's dudes that, you know, I've played the smaller winter series events that, you know, I'll have wedges into greens and they're hitting hybrids, no joke. And you look up at the end of the day and they're beating you. And it's just amazing how that works. I still don't understand it. It's it's kind of like when I talked to Tug, he was like, well, um, I really don't practice. And I get yep. to the practice round. I kind of see how much my ball is fading. And then um, I get the speed of the greens down and I refuse to chip off of anything that's a tight lie. And you're so, like, okay, are we all just taking this weight? Are we just making golf too hard? No, no. I have a lot <laughs> to say about this, right? So, okay. This is this is where the difference lies in that for a player like myself, like my floor is pretty damn low. It is. And if I if I'm going through like when Tug Mod plays once a week, he is probably shooting right around the same numbers. Like if he plays yeah. six times in a week, it just doesn't change that much. And I know those guys have good days and bad days and whatnot, but if I'm playing once a week, like you know, five weeks into that, I've played five rounds in, in, you know, in five weeks, that fifth round, I, I almost am guaranteed to shoot a 78. Like, it's just not going to be pretty. I don't have the, I don't have the base of having competed at any kind of high level. Whereas you go right. to some of these tournaments, these dudes played on the corn Ferry tour. Uh, you know, I've played uh, FSGA events with Paul Tesori. He played on the freaking PGA tour. Like that's his yeah. base. Like that's his fallback. And so that's where I can get really discouraged with myself sometimes of just like getting my brains beaten in by some of these guys. Um, because I'm really only even an okay player when I'm able to dedicate a fair amount of time to it. Like it's gotta be, you know, hitting balls a couple times a week, couple rounds 
I just don't have that, that, that base to fall back on. And that's where like my relationship with competitive golf has gone through some ups and downs of like, dude, like, why am I, why do I carve out like a week and a half before this, take time off work to like practice. And then I go travel, I go stay in a hotel room and then I go out and like shoot 79 and then I'm miserable in the hotel room. And all I want to do is be home. And that I just have gone through these ups and downs of like, why, what am I getting out of this? Right? Like, why do I want to do this? And I've kind of come to a little bit better terms of, of saying like, dude, you got to just circle which weeks are your weeks. You don't, you can't do everything. You, it's just impossible. So again, Gasparilla is my week. I, I'm going to carve out the time around it and I'm going to do it. Um, and you know, what, what do I want to get out of it is kind of like, I look at, I look at people that like train for marathons and stuff and wonder like what that, what are you getting out of that? Why do you want to do that? And I think that's kind of the lens I view competitive golf through is kind of like my grind. Right. If I want, like, I'm going to go keep trying to accomplish something. I want to, I really do want to. Um, and I don't like want to get there and like question why I'm there. Right. Or question whether yeah. or not I should be doing it. I walked off after my U S open local last year and I was like, dude, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I shot 82. It was lucky to shoot 82 because I had the lefts and I had, it's all on video too. If you want to watch it on YouTube, it's, it's an incredible <laughs> watch really because I had the lefts and I couldn't keep the ball in play. I had it four provisionals on one of the tee boxes. Thankfully that first ball was in. Uh, still made double, but it's fine. Uh, and I was just like, why, why do I do this? Right? Like why, like what I'm not like close to being competitive right now. And I, 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 I cautiously say this in the last three weeks, I've, I feel like I've totally turned a corner. Uh, I've gone through an entire equipment change. I'll play an entirely new golf ball. And my, I do feel like my floor has risen at least a little bit to give me some encouragement to say like, Hey, not everything has to be perfect right now for me to go out and shoot 72 and that's a, a good place to, to live. I, I'm hoping to get enough reps over this next month where I can go in and ready to compete. Uh, I usually try to sign one card at least before the Gasparilla, even if it's a one-day event or something. And I don't think I'm going to get to do that this year. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm slightly – if you had this, if we had this phone call a month ago, I – I wouldn't, I, I, I'm a, I'm a teeny bit, 15, 20% more confident now than I was a month ago because there you go. the ball's starting to go in just a, it's starting to go a little straighter. I'm starting to play from the fairway and I, I'm starting to remind myself like I don't suck, which is a far cry from <laughs> well, several mental, months ago. That's uh that's the, your mental coach uh, clearly is doing uh, doing the Lord's work there. Yeah. That's the problem with golf. When you get to a certain level and you can shoot some good scores, it's really hard to, remind yourself that hey i don't do that all the time enjoy it when it happens but you can't take that 67 that i shot two years ago at the gasparilla and turn that into that's my expectation and that's really that's a hard thing to kind of keep in your mind which is where i find myself in purgatory as well because how can i how can i go out to Timaquana like last saturday i shot 68 which is my yeah. the best score i've shot in two years probably 400 par how can I do that yet also not accomplish anything in competitive golf? Like, I feel like I'm the only person that, that is capable of doing both of those things, right? So it makes me want to keep trying to do something in competitive golf and not just play my home course and, and you know, get pretty good at that. Like, I want to, I feel like I can accomplish some things. And so that's just an up and down battle I've had of just feeling like I'm stuck between like, gosh, I feel like I should play in competitive events, but why do I keep throwing up these stinkers every time I do it? You know, it's... 
Uh, yeah. I, I hope I hope people can commiserate with that because it's the tournament. I have such appreciation for tournament golf, right? It just it uh, it's such a different animal, and yeah. I learn something from every med am I play with in some capacity of how they handle things and 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 uh, different playing styles and and yeah, I can't wait to do it again. Playing at that high level competitive golf. I mean, even look at JT and and Spieth. Like I'm sure you guys had a great time, and it was it was tons of fun, but. You know, they weren't overly sharp because it wasn't the same grind and the same competitive juices as they're playing week to week on the PGA Tour or in a major. And it's just it's not going to be there until you get into the into the arena, so to speak. So, yes, you can go shoot your 68 or 69 at Timaquana, But, man, you know, grinding at a 71 in competition and making a you know, making a six foot or an 18 to, to you know be one under. That means a hell of a lot more, I would imagine, than the 68 at home. I thought this is kind of my theory and is I'm not starting from zero here. I'm not saying that Tim McQuan and Jim Furyk and I are are equal. That's not what I'm saying here, but I I will say this, like he and I can play around a golf and you know, it, it, if we're relatively close to the end of the day, it wouldn't surprise me. Right. There's been a couple uh, there's days we've tied. There's days I've beaten him. There's days he beat me by 14. It's, it's not usually that close, but when I go into tournament play, I get three shots worse. And when he goes into tournament play, he gets three shots better. Yes. And that gap is so freaking massive, man. It yes. really is so freaking massive. I remember one of my favorite stories to tell is uh, how and how deranged golf is. Big Randy, who is our highest handicapper that we have at No Laying Up. He's probably a 10 handicapper at this time. He and I play, played around at golf at Jack's Beach in January of 2020. He shot a 74 and I shot a 77. He beat me straight up on the golf course. His best round ever, but he beat me straight up. Like two days after that, I played around with Jim Furyk and I beat him straight up from the back tees at, at Timaquana by two shots. That was that round I was telling you about where I shot 71, he shot 73. Yeah. And then I look up at TV the next week, he's playing the Genesis and he is like tied for 12th with Tiger Woods. And I was just like, what a, what a transitive property. The transitive property of golf is absolutely insane in terms of you could be, if you're around scratch, you could lose to a 10 handicap, yet you could somewhat compete with a pro on one day, and then yep. they could go turn it on in tournament golf and just be so good you can't even really comprehend it. Like, you can't <laughs> comprehend how good these are when they're hot. I, I, I'm laughing because I, the memories you have of playing with Furyk and, and the scores that you shoot with him are, are great memories, but if you really look at it critically, it's probably not preparing you in the best way for, for anything for your competitive golf. It's just not. You're like, wait a minute. I did this with Furyk. Why can't I do it now? I know. Like, it's oh, like dude, the worst I, I, thing. Dude, when I couldn't break 80, like imagine like telling yours, like I've, I've shot a 66 with him from the back, my best ever round, like from the back tees anywhere. I've shot a 66 with him. He did. I did not beat him on that day. Again, these guys are insanely good. That's great. Like I, when I can't break 80, like how I'm thinking of every shot from that round. Like, how did I do this? How did I, I I've hidden two fairways around. How did I ever pull this off? I'm walking literally the same exact fairways that I once just harassed and beat up. Like it was golf was easy. And then, Man, when it goes, it goes. It, it's I just it's it's been really frustrating for really a couple of years now of not being able to get off the tee and like trying to piece to, like hitting irons decently well, but not but driving it so poorly that you're just you can hit twelve greens and shoot seventy six because you've cost yourself. Uh, last year's Gasparilla, I played good golf and I hit four balls OB and I missed the cut by three, like eight penalty shots, missed the cut by three. I think I was fifth in the field in birdies through two days. And I just had the lefts, man, the lefts for way, way too long. And uh, I think I've got a driver now that does not want to go left in the same fashion. 
uh, famous last words, but uh, it's got me <laughs> it's got me playing playing a lot more shots from the fairway, and golf is a lot easier that way. Well, let's talk about this new. So you you guys switched over to Titleist now, and and um, God, which is which is great, and and you. So I know you're out at the Performance Institute getting fit. You're talking about these new clubs. Um, you know, I have an anonymous source that's telling me that there is some sort of a story with one particular club in your bag. Can you talk to me about the length of your five iron? Oh, God. Uh, I was going to say, there's a couple clubs in my bag that uh, I, I learned about once I had gone there. And just to just to tell the story here. So, yeah, we were with Callaway for a long time, and we switched over to Titleist. And any part of this story that I tell is not Callaway's to blame. It has been kind of just years of laziness on our end. COVID threw a wrench in us getting fit both in 21 and 22, I think it was. And honestly, golf just had become less of a priority as golf had gotten insanely busy after COVID, um, pro golf that is, and and just – I just got lazy about getting fit and it was kind of like, ah, eh, semi driver head. I'll, I'll mess around with the shafts I have and like, I'll figure it out. Right. I'll figure it out. And I didn't take very much responsibility over my fitting, uh, which is not what you're asking about. The club you're asking about though, is, uh, I did a slight bend in the shaft of a five iron after hitting okay. in the water on the 18th hole at Jack's beach. Like a, it was not, it was a pretty innocent slap I did against my bag. I don't know how it bent, but I had to get it reshafted. It's just and a sturdy, it's a sturdy bag. It's the bag. It is. It's the, that's the problem. It's a good bag and had to get it reshafted. And apparently they didn't cut the shaft down on the five iron. And also I didn't notice for like a really long time. And so my five <laughs> iron was actually longer than my four iron. It became one of my favorite clubs in my bag. I'm like, man, I can murder this thing. This thing's awesome. <laughs> uh, but it's also like kind of embarrassing just to like show how lazy we had gotten about our golf bags and, uh, so, yeah, I've been raving about the new equipment and the new fitting mostly because it just had been a long time since I'd taken control or let somebody else take control of my of my fitting and my clubs. All those resources were available to us at Callaway, and we just had gotten gotten lazy with it. And so getting somebody to put a driver in your hand, like I don't need to be manipulating the club so it doesn't go left. Like right. we can build a club that just doesn't go left. And that was just mind-blowing to me. It took three swings for me to pick up 18 yards of carry distance and like – watch the ball gently fall right when I wanted it to. And that's just what's got me so excited about golf again is, you know, resetting and just maybe I don't stink as much as I thought I did because I just was <laughs> was using something that, like, I don't know how to fit myself. Tron, one of our guys, is a master fitter as well. And, like, I didn't even consult with him. Like, that's how lazy I got with this stuff. It was kind of like, oh, I'll figure it out. I, I'm fine. And we, we got, I just we, we got to get you a mental coach, man. I don't think I suck as much. We really – you got you to gotta spend more time talking to Tug Maud. That's what you got to do. Dude, when you get it going both ways for as long as I had it going both ways, it's hard not to convince yourself you suck. Like yeah. it, uh, but it, it, you know, I looking back at it, it, it really was, um, you know, just some laziness of if I just had better maintenance of of my golf bag, it, I would not have drifted into drifted into that situation. But again, it's just like, wait, well, how much priority do I put on my golf? Well, you know, I've gotten married in the last couple of years, and like I said, golf this business is growing, and it just becomes, you know. Harder and harder to get out to the golf course and take it very seriously. Any questions for me before I let you go? I rarely, I don't, I can't remember how many, how many people that have a podcast that have been guests on the back of the range. You got anything for me? I don't want to make you work too hard to, uh, tonight, but you got anything no, for no, me no, before no, I no, let no. you listen, go? Listen to me. Listen, 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 listen. I do enough of the question asking. I did not prepare any questions for this <laughs> podcast. I, this is like, you know, when the musicians get asked somewhere and they're like, hey, why don't you come play a gig for us now that you're here? Do you mind playing a song or two? Like, no, come on. That's not happening here. No. See, see, I knew it. I knew it. Uh, that's a that's a seasoned <laughs> veteran right there. I'm like, I'm not on the clock here. What are you talking about? You're crazy. <laughs> this is easy. I, well, easy you know, 
It's pretty easy on this end too, man. I mean, when you're you know when you're talking to people yeah. that are used to being on the microphone, I you know, as long as that red button's on it, everything seems to be going okay. Hosting can be kind of difficult though, man. It's, well, not difficult as much as it is just like just gives you a little anxiety, a little bit of you know you don't know what you're gonna get, you don't know what you need to prepare for, you don't know how much energy the guest is gonna have, you don't know you know it's uh I still get I mean we've done 633 episodes or something as of tonight I think and I still get a little anxious before every recording of like dude what am I gonna freaking say when these mics go on I don't know and it kind of just happens but uh, no I have I have great appreciation for what you do it is not easy and uh, and it takes a lot of work and uh, if you won't say it I'll say it for the listeners that you, people would not know how much work goes into to, to doing something like this you're 100 right i i still get that every every episode i get a little bit of like oh god do I, what do i yeah it's exactly what you just said it's 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 in fact you talking about your start um i think you're five six years ahead of me from when actually your twitter handle is about to hit uh, 10 years uh, next month by the way february 2013 I realized that I could not believe that it had been. I was like, no, that can't possibly be ten years. But sure, enough, I hit. I just hit years. five years. I just hit five years, and I'm just like, what? Like, yeah, crazy. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on, talking about uh, uh, just your your journey and and your game and and everything that's uh, going on in, in your life. And uh, I will see you. Uh, I'll see you next month at the Gasparilla, sir. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Appreciate you having me, Ben. And uh, if you ever need anything, just give me a shout. And there you have it. Special thanks to Chris Solomon for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode can be found at thebackoftherange.com. Also, go ahead and follow Gasparilla Invitational. I'll be there later this month. And we'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.